BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I have put in place a zero-tolerance policy for illegal entry uh, on our southwest border. Do you remember that voice? That was Trump's first attorney general, Jeff Sessions. And back in the spring of 2018, he stood near the border wall in San Diego, and he made an announcement that would change life for thousands of people. If you are smuggling a child, then we will prosecute you. And that child may be separated from you as required by law. Border agents took thousands of kids away from their parents. In fact, they'd already started doing it before the policy was even announced. And those images of babies torn from their parents' arms sparked outrage for people across the political spectrum. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Today, we're devoting our whole show to the ongoing effort to try and repair the harm caused by separating immigrant families at the border. There are little children sleeping on concrete floors with mylar blankets. It's just so upsetting. You know, you can't look at this and listen to this and not think about how your own children were that age. Today, even Jeff Sessions The guy who stood at the border in San Diego four years ago to announce this policy now says separating families, quote, turned out to be more of a problem than I think any of us imagined. But advocates and lawyers have been saying for years that this could be the outcome. Back in 2018, the ACLU filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of the families, and attorney Lee Gallant has been representing those families in court. Every day that goes by, the medical community says, creates additional harm, possibly irreparable harm to that child, that every minute that they're not with their parents compounds the the trauma those children are suffering. President Trump did eventually sign an executive order that ended the zero-tolerance policy. A majority of families have been found and reunited, but the parents of hundreds of kids still remain separated from them. Now, President Biden has established this new task force to try and reunify families. But the details are still being worked out. We are hoping to reunite the families either here or or in the country of origin. This is the new head of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. And if, in fact, they seek to reunite here in the United States, we will explore lawful pathways for them to remain in the United States and to address the family needs. So we Meanwhile, lawyers and nonprofits have been scouring 
rural areas and mountainsides in Central America, trying to find those parents who were deported without their kids. Mi nombre es Dora Isabel Melara. Soy abogada. That's a woman named Dora Melara, and she's one of the people trying to find those parents. KQED's Michelle Wiley asked her to keep an audio diary during one of her searches. Hola, buenos días. Estamos aquí ya preparándonos para poder eh, salir. It's 5 a.m. in San Pedro Sula, Honduras, and Dora Melara is already awake. She's getting ready for a long drive, four hours in the pouring rain. She packs light, some important documents, and sandwiches for the road in an overnight bag. Her mission is to locate a father. She has some clues, his name and where he might live. She knows his teenage son was taken away from him at the U.S. border in 2018, and the father was deported without him. Dora, a lawyer in her 40s, is working with Justice in Motion, a U.S. nonprofit. Its goal is to connect with deported parents, to see if they've reunited with their kid or if they're still separated, do they know where their kids are, and to let them know they have options. Perhaps they can now return to the U.S. with legal status. She's never sure she'll find the parent she's looking for, but she's hopeful. Over WhatsApp, Dora shared videos and photos of her journey, and she's led more than three dozen quests like this. Many are successful. She searched for parents during the pandemic, navigating curfews. She's making this trip after deadly hurricanes have pummeled the area, displacing at least 150,000 people. Just two hours into the drive, Dora counts four rock slides. She spots homemade signs, warning about the damage. She's with a colleague, and they maneuver their Ford Escape around deep potholes. During these searches, Dora often relies on the kindness of strangers to point her toward the parent she's looking for. Here's how it works. After she's given a case, Dora starts trying to find ways to contact the parent, online or over the phone. But that can only take her so far. Often, she has to physically travel to their last known address to find out where the parent is. Sometimes they're there. Often they're not. So she asks around, talking to friends and neighbors, anyone who might know where the parent has gone. And getting this information requires building trust in person. That's why she drives for even the slimmest chance of finding this father, despite any dangers. That's how she found this town, through a tip from the father's former neighbor. It's around noon, and now it's time to see if the trust pays off. She arrives to the first town in the mountains where the father might live. Dora hopes things move quickly. Driving in the area will be dangerous after dark. But she gets word that the father isn't there. He might live in another town, 40 minutes away, she's told. So it's back in the car. She arrives and is told, nope, the father doesn't live there either. She'll have to stay the night, she says. The rain is coming down hard. One of Dora's videos shows a thick fog. The next day, she hits the road to the third town in two days. 
And then, a miracle. Someone knows where the father lives, she says. We got his address. Dora takes a video as they drive into his town. Tiny wooden homes and palm trees line a narrow dirt road. Dora's excited to be so close. But the father's home is up a steep, muddy road. She ditches her car to walk the last stretch. And it's pretty tiring. There's a cluster of small homes. A boy greets her and asks what she's doing there. She tells him who she's looking for, and then the father steps out of one of the homes. Just like that, Dora's search is over. Dora says the father has no idea that anyone was looking for him. He invites her in to sit. Dora explains why she's there and what his options are. She asks if he knows where his teenage son is at. She says he has an idea of where his son might be in the U.S., but they haven't been in touch. Dora has to be careful about what she reveals about the father's circumstances, because these conversations are confidential. They talk more, exchange information. She hopes they'll stay in touch. A few days later, Dora reflects on what parents have told her about being turned back at the U.S.-Mexico border without their children. She says some people feel shame. Some parents don't want to go home at all to face their spouse without their child. Even if she can't change anything right away, Dora says meeting the parents, listening to them, can be meaningful. She says when they talk, parents know that someone cares about them and their children. Perhaps it brings them some hope and acknowledgement of what happened to them, so they feel less alone. So, Michelle, it sounds like parents like this dad in in Honduras have really felt like their experience was invisible. I mean, I just can't imagine what it feels like to have your kid taken away and then to feel so powerless afterwards. Right. And and I think it's important to remember, too, these are parents who this has been years, you know, for this father. His son was taken away from him in 2018. Uh, Dora made contact with him in 2021. So, we're talking about a pretty mm-hmm. big gap. And these are people who live in remote areas of Honduras, at least for this father, and and might not have a lot of contact with uh, people in the U.S. And what Dora told me is that one of the most important things about doing this work is just kind of acknowledging the harm and acknowledging what happened and saying, like, you're not forgotten. So how did you find Dora? So she is an attorney in Honduras, and she works through Justice in Motion. So they essentially contract with attorneys in these areas because, you know, one of the important aspects of doing these searches is being familiar with the area and, and you know, speaking the language, being able to, like, you know, go into these really small communities and and make these kinds of connections with people. So we talked, she and I, earlier this year about the search for families when we're hoping to get like a more on the ground look walking around Honduras. She volunteered to help out and was just so great. She taped herself with her phone. It was really 
this just sort of this all-encompassing journey that she chronicled. Okay, eh, saber que estoy haciendo algo por alguien es algo motivador. And Dora has said in the past, you know, one of the reasons that she decided to do this work is because the people who are impacted by it were humiliated. They had their rights taken away, and and she feels very strongly that they that needs to be rectified. De saber que pueden tener justicia por todo lo que han vivido. Michelle, remind us about the conditions that parents like the dad we just heard from are trying to flee in Central America. Yeah, so in Honduras specifically, there was a Human Rights Watch report from 2019 which found, you know, widespread corruption in the area. A lot of democratic ideals are being suppressed. It's a dangerous area for journalists, for lawyers like Dora, for other human rights workers. And it's not just gang violence. There are many areas in Central America like in Honduras that are have been destabilized kind of foundationally. And and I think when we talk about that, it's always important to acknowledge the legacy of US intervention in Central America backing civil conflicts there and just understanding kind of how so many of these people got to the point where their only option was to flee for their, you know, for their lives and for the lives of their children. So now we're in a situation uh, with COVID where I imagine the search for these families has gotten harder. How has it affected Dora's work? So starting in March 2020 and then going all the way to August, there were basically no searches whatsoever. They could look online and make phone calls, but the actual act of going out and looking for people was pretty much shut down. Um, Honduras had some very strict travel rules for people. And and when they were able to go out and do searches, it was in a really limited amount of time. Well, and on top of that, Honduras has had a couple of really devastating hurricanes happen. Right. So in 2020, there were two hurricanes that came in and caused some really widespread damage. It's interesting because the hurricanes kind of necessitated some of those COVID-19 travel restrictions be lifted because People were displaced out of their homes due to the damage. So they couldn't say, you know, you can't travel because there's, for some people, there was nowhere to go back to. There was nowhere to quarantine safely. Porque en el huracán Eta hubo muchos lugares que fueron eh, inundados. La, el agua llegó incluso... For Dora, you know, the hurricanes affected her personally. Her home was covered in mud. She said a lot of her belongings were destroyed. She is living with family now. And she told me that the impact has been pretty widespread. There's water that reached the roofs of houses. There were landslides, bridges falling, and then there were sinkholes. And those are the things that she's encountering as she's trying to do these searches. Un cráter enorme que se tragó hasta un carro. Y bueno, hasta los momentos sigue afectado. Lo que hay la zona norte, hay muchos lugares que todavía... And I would imagine when she goes into these towns looking for people, people may have left if the hurricane damaged their homes. It's, again, another layer of trying to do this work, knowing that you're hoping to catch someone in this moment where they're at home, hoping to find them when there are all these levels of issues that they might be facing. Michelle, did Dora give you any sense of, you know, how often she's able to successfully find parents? And when she does, is she able to reunite them with their kids? From what I understand, she is fairly successful at finding people. I think 
when it comes to reunification, that sort of is a whole other issue. So I think about it in kind of like two different steps, because the first step is just finding parents. A lot of the information that the government had for these families, phone numbers, addresses, they're incredibly outdated or they didn't take them down at all. Mm -hmm. So searching for people can be kind of like finding a needle in a haystack. And then once someone is found, that creates this whole other process where now they are meeting with lawyers and trying to determine what their options actually are. Are they able to, you know, apply for asylum again? Uh, What kind of reunification options do they have? And, you know, some of what we're waiting for now with President Biden's task force on family separations is determining exactly what those options might be looking forward. Well, Michelle, you have another story for us now, and it's told from the perspective of another dad who is facing that question of what to do next. He has been found by a lawyer, but now he's trying to figure out how he can reunite with his son. We can't tell you the name of the man who you're about to meet. He's in Central America, hiding from gangs, he says, who've targeted him and his family. But we can tell you that when the 32-year-old fled Honduras with his five-year-old son, it was out of fear for his life. Gang members had killed his cousin, who was his best friend. He says they were targeting him, too. Once he and his son reached the U.S.-Mexico border in 2018, the plan was to ask for asylum and live a safer life in the States. But nothing went as planned. It was during the height of the Trump administration's so-called zero-tolerance policy, which separated thousands of children from their parents in an effort they said would deter migration. Immigration officials took the father and son into custody. The father says he tried to explain the danger they faced back home. But they told him it wasn't their problem. It was his country's problem. Border agents took him and his son to a holding room where migrants are often held. These rooms are also called hileras, or ice boxes in Spanish, because they're often very cold. The father says immigration officials then told him they'd be taking him to court and that he'd likely be deported but that his son would stay in the U.S. He says he asked border agents to please keep them together to deport him with his son. He says they said no. The father says his son was taken while he appeared in court and kept in a separate facility for 30 days before being released to his aunt, who lives in the U.S., The man says he never got a chance to say goodbye, and 20 days passed before he knew where his child was. They didn't talk on the phone until after the father was deported back to Central America. His boy is now seven years old, still living with his aunt in the U.S. He says his son misses him and asks why he isn't there with him, that he's a bad father for abandoning him. Sometimes the father agrees with him, despite the fact that he fought being separated from his son. Then, about a year ago, an attorney gave the father a call. It was a total surprise. He wasn't sure anyone could help him. The attorney works with Justice in Motion, a U.S.-based nonprofit trying to reunify separated families. 
The attorney explained that the father might have options. He thanked her, he says. And because of this meeting, the father was connected to Al Otro Lado, a California-based legal group that helps people pursue asylum. While he waits, though, he remains in hiding from gangs in Central America for the very reasons he wanted to enter the U.S. to begin with. Our hope is that the Biden administration grants his parents automatic asylum. Melissa Flores is the communications manager for Al Otro Lado. Rather than putting them through once more a currently hostile asylum system that may very well end up deporting him again. In January, Biden established a task force to address some of the harm caused by separating families. But some advocates warn that parents might be wary of being involved again in any way with the U.S. government. Kathleen Karen is the director of Justice in Motion. They don't have any reason to believe the U.S. government is going to do anything to help them. <laughs> why, why should they? Right. So the trust that's been built over the years and relying on partners in the countries of origin who are from there and have been communicating with these families and the families themselves, like they need to be at the center of this. Still, the man says, when he looks out to the future, years after he was separated from his child, he feels like reunification could finally be possible. His son is so little, he says, and needs his father. Ah, uh, Michelle, that story I mean, it's it's just heartbreaking for me as a parent. I mean, I have a kid about the same age as his son. Do you know any more about what has happened for this family? So I do have an update to this story. Uh, the son's mom was so devastated, attorneys told me, after finding out about the separation that in 2018, she actually was able to cross and she's with him now. They're living together with the aunt in the U.S., but that doesn't change the situation for the father. He isn't able to cross. His case is still in limbo, and he's still trying to reunify with his family. President Biden has created this new task force. What will it do for parents like this dad, who's been separated from his son for nearly three years now? They're focused mainly right now on reunification, But what that reunification looks like is the open question. Will they allow families to come to the U.S. to reunify? That's something they've said they are open to. But does that mean that when they reunify in the U.S., they can get permanent status? The White House task force hasn't said concretely what they will do. So I spoke with University of San Francisco law professor Bill Hing, and he believes the government owes these parents some kind of reparation for what has happened. And that might include status, permanent status in the U.S. There are visas in our law already, for example, victims of crime, victims of domestic violence that get visas. Well, why not a visa for somebody who's been victimized by the United States government? And that's what groups like the ACLU have said they want, guarantees. The government and the ACLU announced this week, actually, that they've entered settlement negotiations in the lawsuit. So we'll have to see what comes out of that. But they've said they want to know that parents will be able to get status. They want to know that parents will have access to mental health services. And then there's this other group of families who made the really difficult decision. They agreed to separation. And right now, they're not included in any sort of provisions being provided by the federal government. And I think the question is, do you address the harm with those families too? The people who agreed to separation 
only because they didn't want their child to face the same danger that they were fleeing in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, you use the word harm and it really strikes me that the government has a huge task ahead of it, you know, not just to figure out the nuts and bolts remedies, but actually what the government can do to heal and, and repair really profound damage that these families have experienced. Right. You know, the damage can be really long lasting and and not just for kids, right? There's been research done showing that parents who've had their children taken away from them under these circumstances deal with a lot of trauma. They often have symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And for kids in, you know, in 2020, there was a paper published in pediatrics by some family medicine doctors saying that the U.S. treatment of children falls under the United Nations definition of torture. I spoke to Colleen Kivlahan. She's a doctor at UCSF, and she co-authored the paper. I would describe cages and sleeping on the floor and being forcefully separated from their parents as severe pain or suffering, no different than I would if someone was beaten with a truncheon. That's, that's a pretty intense comparison, that separating kids from their parents is, is equivalent to torture. I think in her perspective, she wants people to understand the depth of the harm that was done and the long-lasting impacts of it. And again, that takes us back to what the Biden administration can do, because that's that's part of the reason that advocates like the ACLU have said, you know, you need to make addressing mental health issues and physical health issues a part of, of fixing the damage. Well, and Biden has also promised to look at this, you know, with a bigger lens by actually addressing the root causes that are driving people from Central America to seek asylum. Yeah. So the administration has promised to dedicate $4 billion to address corruption, violence, the economic situation there. They've talked about putting offices in the countries themselves so people don't have to travel to apply for asylum. They can apply in their country. They don't have to make these very long, difficult, dangerous treks. And I think, you know, it's it's important to look at it from the lens of not only how do we react when people come to our country, but how do we address the issues that are pushing them to seek asylum in the first place? And truthfully, that's a huge issue. It may not be something he can fix in four years. This is a generation-long issue. And actually, earlier this month in a press briefing, the new head of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, said pretty explicitly that the work to undo the damage in the immigration system is going to take a lot of time. We are dedicated to achieving and, quite frankly, are working around the clock to replace the cruelty of the past administration uh, with an orderly, humane, uh, and safe immigration process. It is hard and it will take time. But rest assured, we are going to get it done. Family separation obviously is a really emotional and difficult issue. There are also so many other things that under Trump were established, you know, the Remain in Mexico policies, the dismantling of the asylum system. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot of issues that kind of have to be taken on simultaneously. You know, it's one thing to change the policy, to undo the policies. It's another to restore confidence in the system. You know, with every day that ticks by, that's hundreds of kids still separated from their parents and parents who are missing and wanting to be with their kids.
Michelle Wiley has been following the story of the search for parents who were separated from their kids under the Trump administration. She's a reporter on KQED's immigration team, and she reported these stories in partnership with The World from PRX and WGBH. Their immigration editor is Monica Campbell, and their audio engineer is Robin Moore. KQED's immigration editor is Taiki Hendricks. The California Report magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor. Our director is Amanda Font, and our engineer is Brendan Willard. Hector Arsate is our intern. I'm Sasha Coca. Thanks so much for listening. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any of our episodes. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Hey. It's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. To sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.